This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. It's Monday, OG, and you know what that means. Time for another fun week of podcast, but also time to kick off the week with our shout out to the troops, because while you and I were playing all weekend, these men and women weren't messing around. Taking care of business. So we don't have to. So on behalf of the team here at Stacking Benjamins and our friends at Navy Federal Credit Union, a big Monday morning shout out to the troops. Let's all go stack some Benjamins together, shall we? Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and on today's show, we're rolling out all the latest in cryptocurrency, NFTs, and fintech. Today's guest was the first guest on Tim Ferriss' hit podcast, so I guess he's good enough to be our 1,052nd guest for us. Welcome, entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and host of the Modern Finance Podcast, Kevin Rose. Plus, with home prices climbing, should you dig into your home equity? We'll tackle this and more during our headline segment. And since my buddy Kev is here today, I'll also go virtual with my crypto-themed trivia. And now, two guys who can finally get Doug Coin in front of a big wig from Silicon Valley. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Good morning, Doug, and good morning to you two. Welcome back to Monday and the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, coffee in hand, ready to tackle another week, it's Mr. OG. Second coffee in hand, actually. That's it. You're burning the candle at both ends. <laughs> no, just one. Burning it awfully hard on that one end. It's like crazy. <laughs> we got Kevin Rose coming down to the basement. Time to spiffy the place up, man. Where's Doug? He's the one in charge of cleaning. He, correct. Yes. When I say we, it's the imperial we, right? That's right. <laughs> we got a great show. Kevin Rose coming on, going to talk to us about the world of fintech, the world of crypto, and the world of modern finance in general. If you haven't heard his Pretty amazing new podcast. We'll give you an introduction to all things Kevin. Also, a couple great 
headlines. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Kevin Rose talking modern finance waiting in the wings. So hop, hop, let's get our headlines rolling. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Yeah, today I want to start with something that is less of a hot news headline. We, we seem to have done that a lot lately and instead do one that's more of the basics OG. And I found this written just recently here in uh, Wall Street Journal. This piece was by Deborah Acosta. And in fact, you're dealing with this right now. What to consider when tapping your home equity as house prices rise. Deborah writes, it helps to be familiar with the basics and the difference between a cash out refinance and a HELOC. And I thought, let's go back to 101 here, OG, because as Deborah writes, more Americans are tapping their homes for cash, taking advantage of low interest rates and the rise in home values. Total home equity cashed out in the first quarter of this year is estimated at $49.6 billion, up nearly 80% from a year earlier, according to data from Freddie Mac. It's the highest level on record since 2007, but still below the $84 billion quarterly cash-out volume in 2006. Jenny Poles, one such homeowner, after looking for a larger house for more than a year, she decides she's better off adding a second floor to her family's 1,600-square-foot craftsman-style home than building in this year's overheated market. We just ran out of room. My office had to become the nursery, said Mrs. Poles, a realtor who has a nine-month-old daughter. Her house had appreciated, so she decided to use some of that cash, OG. You know, the price of lumber going up may make me wonder if this is a time, frankly, to do any of this stuff. Right. Well, it's not just lumber, but it's the cost of hiring people. It's the availability of those people to be able to do the work. It's a lot of a lot of things are in the... Uh, the minus column right now, sadly. But definitely in the plus column, your house is worth a lot more money for many Americans. So if you're offsetting that cost increase with increased house value that allows you to cash out some money, can we talk about the difference between a cash out refi and a HELOC? Let's start with cash out refi. Well, I suppose we can since we're here. We might as well since you brought it up. Since we got nothing else going on. Line of credit, cash out refi. What's the difference? It's really just going to boil down to how accessible those funds are over a period of time. If you do like a home equity loan, and every state's different, by the way. Some states have rules around if you can do one or the other or both, or you have to have some time between them, all that sort of stuff. So your state's going to be different. But, but a home equity loan is going to be much more like another mortgage. You're going to say, I need $50,000 and they'll amortize it over whatever, 20 years, let's say. They'll sign an interest rate to it. It's likely a fixed interest rate if it's a home equity loan. And uh, they at closing, they go, here's your check. You'll be paying us back in $200 increments for the next 20 years. Kind of a one-shot, one 
you know, one kill deal. And one thing we want to talk about definitely too, is what you use that, that money for, according to this piece anyway, OG, is going to determine whether that might be tax deductible. Your home right. interest used to be tax deductible for most people. The way tax rules have changed, not a lot of people get to deduct it anymore, OG, but if you use it for home improvements, you can yep. deduct it. If you take it and uh, YOLO your way <laughs> across the world on a trip, you you can't deduct it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also total debt requirements or, or maximums, I should say, as it relates to to being able to claim that interest also. I think it's 750K. There's only a machine that could tell us mm. the answer to any question immediately, but I think it's 750K. So if you've got more mortgage debt than 750, you're, you're limited. But, but yeah, you'll want to work with the CPA and the deductibility. That's our disclosure. To consult your tax professional to... Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so a loan... You get the money, you pay it back over a fixed period of time. A line of credit, on the other hand, is kind of like a credit card. It's like a house credit card. Usually have some rules around it, like in terms of how much you can charge, (laughs) actually how little you can charge at once. You can't go to the store and pick up groceries with your home equity line of credit. They would prefer you to use bigger dollar amounts. I know in every instance that we've had a HELOC, it's been a minimum of $4,000 per draw. You know, they're a little bit bigger purchases, but it's a revolving line. So it's going to operate much more like a credit card. The payments are going to look a lot like a credit card payment, usually one or one and a half percent of the open balance. So you're going to kind of pay just like you would a credit card of the similar of the similar amount. Usually the interest rate is variable. And home equity lines of credit have a, a couple of different time frames that you got to be aware of. The first is the draw period. The draw period is usually a 10-year period. Sometimes they're longer, sometimes they're shorter. But they say, okay, this, this is available to you for the next 10 years. At the end of that 10th year, you have to have it paid off. If you don't, come back and see us, and we will uh, figure out what to do. And that figuring out what to do usually involves taking that over the next 10 years. But what really happens in practicality is... You go, I just need a new line of credit, and they work one up for you and charge you again. So in reality, it's probably kind of a ever-evolving, never-ending type of thing, but that doesn't mean that you should treat it that way. You know, just like any sort of debt, you need to have a payoff plan for it. You know, whether or not you agree with the idea of, hey, I should take a line of credit to build an addition on my house, I'm investing in my house, I'm using air quotes. Maybe you agree with that theory, or maybe you don't. But either way, you can't just have a never-ending line of credit because the bank will trick you. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how banks are kind of like the worst people in the world, <laughs> bankers. I, I don't know if they're the worst people, but they're definitely not your buddy. Yeah. But anyways, when you get your credit card statement, it doesn't say, hey, you should really aggressively pay this off. No, it says, hey, pay this minimum payment. It's 100 bucks. It's 100 bucks. You can do 100 bucks. Pay 100 bucks. And then you do that for two years, and you're going, how come I didn't make any progress on this? Well, the bank's the same way. They want you to pay as least as possible so that in 10 years from now, they go, so about the line that's still open for 100000 you go, oh, crap, I need to do it again. You know. So their goal is to keep you a customer for life. So if you're going to borrow money from a house, if you're going to borrow money from your house, you can borrow it from other people's if you're scammy enough, I figure, I, mean, I guess maybe you could figure out a way to do that. But if you're, if you're going to borrow money from your house, uh, Joe, can I borrow money from your house? How's your day time? going, Earl? Great. I just borrowed money from your house. Yeah. I've been to your house. Your house looks nice. Must have a lot of equity. But if you're going to, uh, if you're going to borrow money from your house, you need to have a plan for that. You need to be able to sit down and say, okay, 
I'm not going to pay this off over 25 years. I'm not getting another freaking mortgage, you know, just factored into your plans. A lot of people use HELOCs for uh, debt payoff, you know, like pay off student loans or pay off credit cards and stuff like that. But where they get trapped in that is they go, God, this is a way better payment. I used to have to pay $1,500 a month on my credit cards, but now I only have to pay $450. Woohoo, $1,100. No, no, no. Pay the $1,500. Pay the $1,500. Like take the rate and the term. You know, you got lower interest. That's great. That's fantastic. Pay the same payment. Get done with it faster. So I think those are the two major differences a fixed thing that happens one time or kind of an ongoing thing. On that note, by the way, the fixed thing, that fixed taking money out at one time also can be a fixed rate loan where the HELOC almost, I don't think I've ever seen a HELOC that is a fixed rate. No. And I have seen in some states and some some areas where they will remind you that your line of credit is variable and go, hey, by the way, we're about to increase rates. So if you want to lock it in, you can flip this thing into a fixed deal. You know, So there's that option too. But I think the biggest thing that you got to be aware of with the line of credit isn't any of that stuff. It's just... What happened in 2007 and 2008 with this? Lines of credit went bye-bye. Yeah. The banks went, yeah, we decided to change your line of credit. That's in the paperwork. The paperwork says the bank can change the line of credit. They can't call it, right? They can't call you and say, that was the mortgage crisis of the 1930s. They can't call you and say, dude, you owe 150 on your line of credit. You need to pay us right now or we're going to come take your house. They can't do that anymore. But what they can do is go, yeah, that 150 on your line of credit, we did some evaluation. We actually decided that that line should only be 75. So uh, we know that you had 85 outstanding and you had 50,000 available, but now you're negative 10. Just like that. And you go, but I was going to put an addition on. It's cheap labor right now, and I can, you know, I can help the economy and do. Nope, nope. Sorry, sorry. We're we're limiting our losses. Too bad. So sad. Oh, I just lost my job. I could really use that line of credit. Yeah, not our problem. We don't want to own your house, so we're going to make this unavailable to you. That's what the bank will say. So, be careful with that. You know what time it is now, OG? It's time for our TikTok minute, where. We profile some TikTok creator video who has some excellent advice for you with your money. And normally I say excellent in air quotes, but today- Excellent with a star. But today I think that with Kevin Rose coming down to the basement, what do you think about these uh, NFTs and the trend of these new NFTs? Non-fungible- What do I think of it? Turds. What's the T stand for? Turds. <laughs> non-fungible <laughs> terrible things to put your money in we might just have That's to ask uh, kevin what the what the t is in nft people screaming at their device right now once again if there was only a place i could go look it's that token. up token that'd it's be token. great token 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 it is token yes i know i was being funny Oh, I wasn't. I had I had a Joe moment right there. Hey, this is uh, one creator, though, very seriously explaining, I think in a very good way, OG, what an NFT really is. Tell me if you agree. I don't know what NFTs are. Here's what I think they are. I think it's something that you have, but it's imaginary. You don't really have it. You're just pretending that you do. And you pay a lot of money to pretend that you have something. And... It's really because you're now the only person allowed to pretend that you have it. No one else is allowed to pretend now. So you don't want them to. And that's why you pay money to pretend that you own something, but you don't really. 
I thought I, I, that is about the best explanation that I've ever heard of that. And I we, can't agree more. We normally have just some crappy advice and, and people, but she's brilliant, man. She is yeah. brilliant. And she is specifically laid out the entire questions that I have about this. It's, it's one singular question. So if I buy a meme, do I get paid every time somebody does it? Is it like a copyright where you got to send me a nickel every time you use that on your phone or something? Like, I, I don't think so. It's just like, oh, that's mine. And, <laughs> you know, what does that got to do with anything? What do you get out of the deal? No, that's mine. <laughs> I, I can't stop laughing. I know. I'm the only one who gets to pretend now. I'm the only one. Yep. <laughs> Oh, thank you for that. And we'll have a link to that in our show notes if you want to uh, watch that TikTok video. We also have a guide to the show, stackybenjamins.com forward slash stacker, where you get a guide, not just with this, but we'll also talk about lots of the definitions that we've uh, talked about today. So not only the NFT discussion here, OG, a very quick one there, but talking about HELOCs and home equity loans, what's our takeaway? I'm really happy that we haven't yet seen a huge increase in debt to equity on the house side of things. And, I, and I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that we don't see a huge spike in that because that's going to start feeding the other stuff, you know? What's the other Which stuff? Which is not a good thing. It feeds all the other bad things that come with that over, you know, leverage and, you know... Uh, Overextension and... Overextending yourself and... You know, so I've lived through that once. It was not exciting. I uh, would prefer not to have to live through it again. Yeah, be uh, very cautious when it comes to taking on debt. And uh, to lots of your points earlier, OG, uh, taking money out of your house may seem seem like an easy solution, but often the easy solution isn't, isn't the best one. Yep. All right, that does it for our headlines. <laughs> Doug, you seem pretty excited about this one. All right, uh, time for some trivia. Let's go. Hey, stackers, it's me, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You know, your best pal. And it's about time that we bring a real crypto expert on the podcast. I've been begging Joe for this for a long time, and now you're about to hear the magic that is the man, Kevin Rose. If Doug Coin's headed to the moon, only a dude like Kevin can fire this rocket. So I've got a pre-flight checklist of solid questions for Joe to ask him. But before I share, because sharing is caring, let's jump over to today's trivia. Since today is all crypto-tastic, what are the three largest cryptocurrencies by market cap? I'll be back with your answer faster than Doug Coin's going to get listed on the crypto exchanges. Seriously, folks, it's going to take a little while. Well, did you know, stackers, that with the More Rewards credit card from Navy Federal Credit Union, you can earn three times the points at supermarkets on food delivery and gas, plus one point on everything else. If you pay your bills and your credit card off every month, not just a minimum payment, but pay it off in every month, why not play the credit card reward game and make some money? Don't fall into that trap if you don't, because... You got to pay it off every month first. Get it down and then get a great card like the More Rewards credit card because rewards don't expire when your account's open. You can redeem them for cash, travel, gift cards, and more. Plus, the More Rewards card is contactless and you'll make payments quickly and securely with just a tap of your card. Speaking of rewards, 
you can get a Navy Federal Auto Loan and reward yourself with that ride to work that you need. Timing, maybe not the best, but when you need a car, you need it. And Navy Federal is there for you. Applying is super easy. You can do it on the mobile app, online or by phone, and it's super fast. You can get a decision in seconds. Right now, by the way, rates are as low as 1.79% APR. Plus, with Navy Federal's car buying service powered by TrueCar, you will get a much better deal. I've used this service a ton, and uh, and by a ton, I mean my last two cars, and I have saved not hundreds of dollars, stackers, but thousands of dollars. I did it once with a used car. I did it once with a new car. It is amazing. You can shop, compare, and save on your next car. So whether it's your first car or your dream car, Navy Federal can help you cruise into that ride that you can afford it. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Sure, by NCUA, open to the armed forces, DOD, veterans, and their families like me. American Express is a registered service mark of American Express used by Navy Federal under license. Credit and collateral subject to approval, rates subject to change, and are based on creditworthiness rate available for new vehicles. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information and to apply. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. It's your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And the last time I put this much thought into a question, I was downtown asking Todd at the Sizzler just how they put popcorn in the shrimp. I mean, I put a lot of time into these crypto questions, and I think Kevin's advice is going to level up Doug Coin to the next level or like to the, the level after the next level, you know, like up there. So, first, how do we actually get people to use their Doug coin for important daily transactions like you know, for bread or Code Red Mountain Dew? Because it's going to be such a good investment, everyone's just going to like hold on to it and not spend it. Second, since I'm definitely going to be the biggest holder of Doug coin, how big of a safe am I going to need? And last, what happens when North Koreans want a piece of my jam? I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't really want to restrict Doug coin, but I don't do politics, you know, until hashtag Doug 2024. But if that f- 
actor Chuck Todd at MSNBC finds out I gave Doug coin to Kim Jong-un, it might hurt my election hopes. Then again, do you think he could introduce me to Rodman? I mean, that would be cool. Anyway, I am stoked to get Kevin's take. Let's get you your trivia answer so Joe can finally get our interview started. The question was, what are the three largest cryptocurrencies by market cap? At number three, it's actually what's called a stable coin, which disappointingly isn't a coin pegged to the value of horse barns, but rather, in a lesson to us all, it's pegged to the U.S. dollar. And with a $61 billion market cap, it's called Tether. And at number two, with a $314 billion market cap, it's Ethereum. (laughs) I've breathed that stuff before. You sound hilarious for like the next five minutes. And in a shock to absolutely nobody except maybe Joe's mom, coming in at number one with a $704 billion market cap, it's the Bitcoin Hang on, stackers, because before you know it, Dugcoin will be on that list. Let's pass this on over to Kevin Rose to get things started. See ya! finance, as you know, OG, is becoming much more like the TikTok video that we talked about earlier. You can't see it. I remember taking money out of my wallet and now I never have money in my wallet. Instead, I have this little plastic card and increasingly I don't even need the plastic card to make transactions anymore. Everything is pretend and I'm the only one that could pretend to have my money. But in a world like that, that we often can't see, understanding the wheels is so important, which is why we talk a lot about fintech here. And increasingly, it seems like our headlines are about cryptocurrencies. And a gentleman who is right at the forefront of both of those topics is our next guest, Kevin Rose. He's going to help us get a handle on all things modern finance. And if you don't know Kevin, you may have heard of Dig or Revision 3. Those are two companies that he founded. He's a partner at True. He founded Oak recently, a guided meditation app, and Zero, an app for tracking intermittent fasting. He, of course... Ooh, uh, I have that app. <laughs> it's amazing. I how much, Zero, I do. It's so amazing how much stuff this guy's done. Top 25 angel investors by Bloomberg, top 25 web celebrities by Forbes, top 35 innovators by MIT, top 25 most influential people on the web by Time and Business Week. He's appeared on uh, ABC Nightline News, Jimmy Fallon, Charlie Rose, and of course, now his biggest interview ever is on Stacking Benjamins. He was actually the first guest, I believe, on uh, Tim Ferriss' podcast. Uh, But he's here now, pinnacle of his career, I'm sure. Kevin Rose coming down to the basement. And here he is coming down the stairs. Kevin Rose joins us. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on the show. This is going to be fun. I'm so happy that we could get an adult in the room to talk about crypto because as you know, probably better than most, it's either somehow this fad that's going away or it's like CrossFit, right? What is it? How do you know somebody does CrossFit? Just ask them or they'll even tell you. I was sitting at, tell you. I was sitting at a restaurant a couple of weeks ago and this guy would not stop telling me how awesome Bitcoin was. 
and I didn't want to tell him what I did. So I just kind of smiled and nodded. But uh, but, but, yeah, but we call that ma- maximalist is what we call that in the industry. So it's like it's someone that is just like so sold on one particular slice of tech that they can't even see the world any other way. Man, I've got so many questions for you. Let's start off with NFTs, because as you were upstairs talking to mom, you probably heard us playing this woman's great description of what an NFT is, that it's this imaginary thing, that you're now the only one who gets to pretend that you have it. Nobody else can pretend that they have it anymore. Is that a good starting point for NFTs? I think that is um, completely wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hilarious, but it, it's not accurate. I, I would almost say it's more akin to you've been given the keys to something that is exclusively yours, although it's completely digital. So you have the keys to uh, an object, much in the same way that you own your email address. I mean, you have the the login credentials for that. You're the only one that can receive email at that address. You can tell other people that, you know, it's a public facing thing so other people can use it, but no one can really send it, but send email from your account, but you, I mean, NFTs are the same way you have something it's publicly visible, but you're the only one that can send it around or move it around to anyone else. And it's a digital asset. We're seeing people use this in all different ways, obviously right now, but in the future, where do you see it? Is it digital rights? Like I'm thinking about, you know, everybody has a music streaming service and music has kind of blown themselves up. And part of me thinks that before music went to streaming, because it seemed the only way to curtail piracy, that if we'd had an NFT somehow attached to a piece of music, then piracy would be a thing of the past. Is that a, is that a true statement? I think in that world, it depends on how you're carving up that piece of media. So it's a really interesting way to attach ownership to a digital object and then allow other people to partake in that ownership. So something can be either sold wholly, like like moved to you. So if I'm an artist, I could create an MP3, put it on the blockchain and say, I'm selling you the rights to this MP3 and now you have it. And we could do that transaction on the blockchain and prove that we did that transaction. Or in a future world, and this is what people are talking about now, is there can be multiple owners of something that, so we could say, okay, we can take that MP3 that we were just talking about. Let's create a thousand tokens that represent ownership in that MP3. So now you can divide it a thousand different ways and a thousand, there can be a thousand independent owners and future proceeds that happen around that particular piece of media. So that could be Spotify licensing it, Apple music licensing it, whatever it may be. It streams pro rata to the owners of that digital asset. So it's just a, a better, cleaner, faster, more transparent way to have ownership in real time and have a market that is liquid 24-7. So if you think about, like, if you wanted to own the rights to a song today, you would have to go out and you'd have to approach a record label. Let's just say you can pull this off. You would uh, determine a price. You would then go and work with attorneys for who knows how many weeks to finally get to an agreement sign documents, probably, you know, wet signatures, probably don't even use DocuSign yet. And then, you know, eventually you would have the rights and you would receive royalty checks, probably still in the mail 
um, you know, every quarter or every, every once a year, whatever it may be. All of that is old technology. All of that is like, it, it's obsolete. I mean, the future will be NFTs will be these objects that you can prove ownership around. So that can be assigned to art, media, it can be commercial real estate, it can be anything. And you can say, I hold this one one thousandth of this particular artist song rights. And now I get this little tiny stream of income coming in every single hour or every single day or whatever, you know, whoever, whatever platform is sitting on with whatever they support. But it's just a cleaner, more digital first way to prove ownership. I know you talk a lot also about uh, fintech. And it's funny because I think about the world of fintech in the same way when I think that ACH still is the slowest process. I mean, why the hell it takes three right. days to transfer thing from here to here when we've got all these clean ways to do it? Like, what the hell is that about? I, we were doing that back in 1994, Kevin. Right. Totally. I mean, those those are old payment rails that are that are going to be obsolete. But we know that these things, they take a long time to die. I mean, think about the fact that you can still go send money via Western Union, you know, like they have those like literally they still at the grocery store down the street from me have like a phone you can pick up and it talks to someone on Western Union and you can figure out a way to give them money and send it over this old weird, you know, I mean, that those systems existed in like the, the 80s, yeah. you know, yeah. they're still here. <laughs> so uh, ACH and all those others, it's just not going to it's just going to be an old school way of doing things and. Checks aren't going away anytime soon, unfortunately. Like those, all that stuff's going to be around. I, I want to ask you, I want to get into crypto in a minute, but while I mentioned fintech, let's go there first. You know, there's got to be from where you sit, Kevin, some fintech that you think, man, this is cool and this is the future, almost like we were just talking about with NFTs. But also there's got to be some fintech out now, like always, that makes you just roll your eyes. What do you think is the future of fintech? Where are we headed? I believe that there is a couple different categories of companies that are out there. There are the traditional banks. If you look at the way that things have evolved over the last few years, you've had some banks that are very traditional and they've said, okay, we're going to get hip, but you have kind of more hipper, even newer tools like Square Cash app saying, we're going to support you know a few different cryptocurrencies um, and make that super easy. You're going to have several credit cards coming online in the next couple months that are going to be offering Bitcoin back. So instead of cash back, you'll be getting Bitcoin back directly into your account. We've already talked um, to the, we've already talked to here on the show a couple banks, small banks doing that right now. Yeah, I mean it's this is where we're going to see this huge division in old corporate like banks that have management that is stale and out of date. And then you're going to have banks that reinvent themselves. And I think companies like BlockFi, where they're offering a really traditional on-ramp for consumers, so you don't have to know about crypto. You can come in and say, hey, I'm just going to deposit some money in BlockFi. And guess what? Like today, I mean, the, 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 you earn, I think, 8.6% on your USD stablecoin, which is just insane. And they've been doing that for years and they haven't had any losses. And that's not to say that the rate won't fluctuate or go down over time, but I, I just believe that it's companies like that that are saying, okay, rather than have a back office of 10,000 people and payroll that we have to make, we're going to use smart contracts and the new kind of modern digital tools that is being written in DeFi. And we're going to slap a really beautiful, simple interface on top of it for the average consumer and pass on all the savings to the consumer. Obviously, with additional yield comes additional risk sure. uh, in some capacity. Yeah. So there's always something to think through there. But 
every day that goes on means that these smart contracts have been hammered on by more potential hackers and they're just getting more and more solid and trusted. You know, that's what it takes. It takes time. It takes time to prove out that these technologies actually work. They, they do what they say they're going to do and they can't be hacked. Those are the big factors there. And, and I believe that the entire financial stack is going to be rewritten in the next uh, four to five years. Well, it's interesting. We, uh, Matt Carey, who was with Blueprint Income, he sold the company to Mass Mutual. He now was in investment news recently talking about crypto and annuities of all things, like an area where you're thinking about safety, right? Annuities and right. crypto together. But are you seeing these types of things too? These, what you think of as non-traditional uses of crypto by some of these big, oh my old, boring companies like Mass Mutual? Yeah. I mean, there's ins a crypto insurance companies now that are blockchain first uh, insurers of, of crypto that, that guard against any types of these types of hacks. So, you know, you think about the traditional, like someone would tell you, Hey, if you go down to the bank, make sure it's FDIC insured. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so you get that 250 K protection or whatever it may be. And you know, the crypto world has said, okay, well we can do this too. So let's just launch a crypto insurance that protects you against any hacks that may occur in these smart contracts that are generating this fantastic yield. So you pay a couple percentage points yield, but then they show you, you can see that the assets are in the bank so that are in the uh, locked uh, on the blockchain. So should there ever be a hack, they're there to cover that. And there's, there's a lot of crazy projects. I, I would say the one kind of timely example of this, uh, of a crazy project that has a lot of potential, but also is um, just nuts. It takes a while to wrap your head around and it's only something that could be done in a crypto only environment. And that is a tool called Alchemix. And I recently had the, the founder on my show. I and saw that, yeah. These are loans that you can take out that pay themselves off automatically um, using yield in, in crypto. And it is, it's one of those things where you, I, I was even doing, you know, I'm the host, I'm interviewing the guests. I'm like, okay, I think I think I kind of get it. And then about a half hour goes by, I'm like, oh. And then for, the 45 minutes and I'm like, okay, now it clicks. But it's like, it's only something that can happen in DeFi. Uh, no traditional bank would ever touch this. And it's just a really fascinating concept. Definitely one we're checking out. But even today, they didn't have a hack, but they had a bug in their one of their smart contracts. And, and granted, it was one of the new things that they're kind of up and coming and developing. And it wasn't one of their kind of main projects that had already launched and been audited. So this was very experimental. But they had to pause the smart contracts because there was a bug that could have drained some of the resources out of the smart contract. And so it's it's you know it's the wild west. But that that is what's so exciting about it is like the, you know yes there are bugs. Yes there are going to be future hacks that we all hear about and we all get scared about that we hear in the press and a half a billion dollars gets drained here there. But for the most part, the community has been really good. When there are hacks, funds are oftentimes returned. And I don't know, this is the space to watch because in 10 years, it's going to be really boring. And, you know, a lot of this will be figured out. And I think that there's a lot of upside to be had now by dabbling in this space. But you also have to know what to avoid. Like, I, I'm not one of these people that tells you every project out there is great. And, you know, if you look at the top 10 our top 20 cryptocurrencies rated are ranked by market cap. There's a lot of garbage in there. There's a lot of doggy coins in there, like all different types, right? Like you have to, it's like buyer beware. Half of our audience uh, hears you here and is super excited that you're here with us. The other half rolls their eyes and goes, I don't know anything about crypto. I've got no idea what's going on for those people. 
what is the way to get someone across that divide? Because as an example, as you're talking about the guest and it takes you 45 minutes to understand what the hell he's talking about, and you talk about this stuff every day, is is that kind of the barrier that we're up against? Is is it so hard to explain what's really going on under the hood? Yeah, I mean, that is the barrier and that is the opportunity for these folks that are interested in learning more. If this was really easy where everyone could understand it and it had been spread out in a way that you could just open any app and transact and work in the world of crypto in a seamless, easy fashion, then there a lot of the risk would be gone. That's great for my mom, but it's for those of us that want to see the upside and we want to participate when these coins are smaller from a market cap standpoint, I would argue it's better to educate yourself now and get involved and dabble and play and kick the tires on a bunch of these projects so that you can understand where this is going and you can participate in a lot of that upside. It's almost, you know, the way I, it's, it's interesting, Kevin, not to cut you up, but I just remember back when I was a financial planner on a much, much less volatile area, uh, just even with mutual funds, explaining to people that when you're a long way away from the goal, volatility up and down is a good thing. And as you get closer to the goal, you talk about your mom that you don't want the volatility. You're saying it's the same thing here, but on a much bigger scale, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, the way I look at it is that if you believe that digital currencies are the future and and we're not going to live in a world where we're just making and building more printing presses down the road and we're actually printing paper seems silly. If you believe that the world is going digital, which I think almost all of us can get on board with. And that blockchain is truly a transformational novel technology that is meaningful, which I think almost everyone can get on board with now. Then it's important to educate yourself in the space and do it right sized. And this is, I, you know, I got to the class, uh, say this is not investment advice, but I do it right sized to me, meaning that, you know, to your point, if, if you're talking about retirement money here that you're going to go invest in crypto, that's probably a little bit nuts, right? If you're if you're in that striking distance to retirement and you're going to go put a big chunk of your net worth into crypto, that's crazy. But for me, what I always tell you know the family at Thanksgiving dinner is whatever that number is for you. Some people it's one percent of their overall net worth. Some people it's ten percent. And I have some friends it's fifty or sixty percent. Right? They're nuts, but that's what they do. But the most important thing is not just to go and buy based on what a friend tells you. The most important thing is to go out and actually try to use these products and and don't do it in a big way. Like, let's just say you had $10,000. You're like, okay, my number is 10,000. I want to invest in crypto. I would not say just go listen to a friend and and go all in on 10,000 in crypto. Take $50 chunks of that or $100 chunks and go try out some of these crazy tools, the loans that repay themselves, or, you know, try and purchase an NFT to see what that experience feels like for 50 or $100 and just learn this stuff. Because then I think there's that aha moment where you're using some of these yield generating tools. Maybe, maybe you're kicking the tires on BlockFi or you're using Genesis Earn or whatever it may be. And you're like, oh, I get how this works now. I feel more comfortable. And then you can kind of like slowly dollar cost average your way into some of these things versus just going crazy and putting a, a, a big check into something that you don't even understand. I love Does that. The, make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I love the fact because, you know, when it comes to stocks, a lot of people will just use a simulator, right? Before they start and they think, well, I want to know how it works. But as you know, I like putting a little money in it as well, because until your emotions are involved, you don't know how you're really going to respond. 
versus also putting everything in it. We did a, I was smiling while you were talking because we, we did another TikTok minute a couple of weeks ago about the dude who uh, YOLO'd a hundred percent of his money from his 401k, took everything, maxed out his credit cards and put it all in Dogecoin, of course, you know, cause yeah. uh, just a mess. I was so happy to see you podcasting again, my friend. And tell me about when you decided to start podcasting Modern Finance, what went through your head and said, you know what, I want to, I want to get rolling again. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it was one of those things where I just saw everything. So I, you know, my day job is a venture capitalist investor. And so we, we back a lot of these crypto projects, you know, at, we've got a couple, almost 3 billion under management at True Ventures. And, you know, we've probably deployed 75 million so far this year in crypto projects alone. And so we're doing a lot of investing in the space. So I'm seeing all of the latest and greatest, like cool projects and coins and NFTs and founders working in the space. And it's, it's just a lot to absorb. And I'm like, wow, I need to share this with more people because it's just really, um, it re- reminds me of what happened when web 2.0 hit. Cause I was in the middle of that in like 2004, 2005, uh, you know, when Facebook was launching and Twitter was launching and there was all these really exciting projects and, and, you know, had you been involved in those companies and been able to back and invest in those companies back then, I mean, you can see what their market caps are today. It's just nuts. You would have seen like a you know, thousand plus X upside. So I look at some of this stuff and then it was that combined with a lot of the scam stuff that I saw out there, because unfortunately, as you know, when people start talking finance, there's a lot of, of bad advice, just really? like people coming out there. Are you, are, and, you, are you kidding me? Well, you should, you should say hashtag yeah. spoiler. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, well, especially in crypto, man, it's like, there's all these people that are pumping these coins and they're, you know, like they, they just, they're trying to get rich overnight and that's not the play here. And I'm just like, there needs to be a voice that, that talks to people about, buying coins that they're going to hold for the next five to 10 plus years or longer. Right. And like, those are the investments that we're looking for at true ventures and the ones that people should be paying attention to. Um, so it's not my job to tell people, uh, what to invest in. You know, I'm not a registered investment advisor, but at least I can highlight some of my favorite projects and let people go and kick the tires and decide on their own. Yeah. For people like our Friday FinTech segments, I think, and if you haven't listened to modern finance, it is our Friday FinTech segment on steroids. In fact, I want to play, if you don't mind, Kevin, a little piece of uh, modern finance from uh, about a week and a half ago. Uh, Once a week, you're talking about the news and stuff that's going on. And this is you and Fayez Ellingen. I believe he's a regular guest on this segment, correct? That's right. Yeah. He he joins me almost every week and every once in a while we have another guest, but he's he's, he's the normal weekly contributor. Yeah. Let's listen to Kevin and Fayez for just a minute here. We talked about it last week. We kind of missed the Bitcoin conference in Miami and there were some pretty big news happening there. So there was a discussion that the country El Salvador would potentially accept um, Bitcoin as legal tender. And legal tender is just a legalese term for essentially a currency that they would accept. So banks and, and businesses would accept that. It went even further. So the the law has been passed and now Bitcoin technically can be or will be a legal tender in El Salvador. And the president in El Salvador, he's a hodler, man. He's he's big into Bitcoin <laughs> yeah. and he, he he's pretty pumped and pushing the marketing message on Twitter as well. And just, I think, a day or two ago, he posted this picture of essentially a volcano or, or a geothermal, what is it, a kind of a, a mine or like something a, like that. 
generator, right? Like to like generate generator. electricity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you essentially in, in geothermal energy, you you either pick up energy from down the bottom somewhere. So you, you get into the floor or you get it from a volcano clearly because it's, it's super hot and you can use that energy. So it's super clean. It's a hundred percent clean energy. For people who want to hear that uh, whole episode, by the way, that's from the June 11th episode, this whole discussion, but it brings up a couple things. There's been a lot of talk about, of course, how much energy mining takes. And so that's an exciting development. But the one I want to focus on is this idea of El Salvador using it as a currency. Because a big problem that I've seen from afar, Kevin, with crypto is a problem that we have with the U.S. government right now, uh, which is uh, the SEC in the past has ruled that crypto is not an investment. So it's kind of outside of their realm of control. And yet at the same time, the IRS has ruled that this is not legal tender. So it isn't like a dollar bill. So if it's not legal tender and it's not an investment this has got to change. There's, there's got to be some collision coming soon with the United States, like we're seeing happen here in El Salvador. Yeah, it's definitely something I'm very excited for, to be honest. We need clarity. We need clarity from the government to tell us how we should be treating these assets. Um, there is just a lack of clarity creates confusion all around. And I actually am excited for the day that the government comes to the table and says, this is how we're going to treat this asset. They're not going to ban it. I, I, it's too far along. The, the ship's already sailed. Like we, we the amount of uh, capital invested in the space, uh, both from the venture community, institutional investors, uh, large corporations, like it is, um, you, you can't, you can't put the genie back in the bottle at this well, point. Well, that's what I'm so thinking. If you've got J- have to figure out how to classify it. Yeah. If you've got JP Morgan Chase investing and Goldman Sachs investing and all these big Wall Street oh, yeah. companies that have tons of assets invest. I mean, just imagine trying to put, to your point, that genie back in the bottle. And also don't forget like the fury of the internet and uh, <laughs> what's happening with, you know, you would literally piss off tens of thousands of consumers that would vote you out of office. I just don't see that happening. They're, they're not going to ban it the way they did in China. Do you think that what we're going to see in the future then is people using it more like a substitute for currency? Because it seems to me, again, from far away, you're much closer. That That's really a key to adoption here. Oh, what's crazy is I have friends that only speak in in crypto, meaning they'll say, send me so-and-so ETH or send, send me Solana for that or send me, in worst case, it's like stable coins. So those, those, if you owe them money for something, you don't send them a wire, you don't write them a check, you don't pay them with Venmo or PayPal, you just send them a stable coin in their cryptocurrency wallet. And that's just like, or, or mostly Ethereum, mostly people talk in ETH. They'll be like, oh, that's two ETH, that's, that's 0.5 ETH. I started thinking that way recently and it just like, it is so crazy because I would have never thought my brain would have gone there, but you spend enough time in, uh, you know, on the weekends and these, in these forums and, you know, dealing with these folks that are in this space and you pick up the lingo kind of naturally. And, you know, I think it was Chris Dixon that said, if you want to see what's going to be popular in the future, pay attention to what the geeks are doing on the weekends. And I, I absolutely believe that to be true. I mean, this may seem super geeky and niche right now, but it, it will spread and it will be the norm in the not too distant future. So I'm excited for it. I'm, I'm very bullish on the space, as you can tell. If you want to get your feet wet and learn more about crypto, about NFTs, about really the future of fintech, modern finance is a great place to start. You guys publish twice a week. Can you give us an idea, Kevin, of what's coming up? Yeah. Um, basically, I have... 
a list internally of things that we want to hit on. So I make sure we get a kind of diverse a range of guests on. So I'll have a guest on to talk about NFTs and then I don't have a guest on to talk about NFTs for a few weeks. So we, we cover all things, uh, decentralized finance. That's my next guest is going to be talking about, uh, some of these crazy yields that you can get. So, you know, it, those are the types of guests that I want to have on the show is to tell us about all the wild and crazy things and why they're different and, and how they can actually be sustainable, which is really just really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I wish you enjoyed it. That's what I wish. I'm sad to see that you don't have any fun doing this at all. Yeah, it's a horrible, horrible job, but somebody's <laughs> got to do it. You know, thanks, though, my friend, for for taking it down to one on one with us for an introduction into the elevator. I really appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out and geeking out with us about modern finance. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Hi, I'm David Hirsch. And when I'm not hosting the Dad to Dad podcast for the Special Fathers Network, which is a dad to dad mentoring program for fathers raising kids with special needs, I'm stacking Benjamins. Big thanks again to Kevin Rose. That guy, OG, when it, when it comes to those topics, has forgotten much more than you and I know. Would ever know. And I love how passionate he is about those those things. And I think there's a you know there's a lesson we've talked about before. The the phrase "follow your passion" is really quite overused. But I think there is something there that if you really dig into what lights you up about your work, more money comes along for the ride, along with all the other well, perks. If you have a good time doing what you're doing, yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean, people want to work with people that they want to hang out with. And if you're the salty, you know, you don't want to be that person's client. You don't want to be that person's employee. You don't want to be that person's boss. Like, I like what you almost said, though. Sultry. If you're the sultry, hey, OG. It's a whole different context there. People do want to work with people like that. Yes. Uh, let's take out the, let's take out the, let's take out the lifeline, the Haven lifeline and chuck it. At somebody, it's probably not uh, the way we roll into that segment, is it? Let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. That may be a better approach. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency put what you value first, OG. I am a big fan of leftover Father's Day barbecue. So we had a little barbecue, some leftovers today. Had them for breakfast. I might have it for lunch. Can you turn the for Can you turn the barbecue that you already ate like your best barbecue meal ever? Like I was telling you about about the meal oh, I had a yeah. cruise down right. in Lockhart. Can yeah. I turn that into an NFT? Into an NFT? Yeah, I don't see why not. That moment. Oh, this is the cruise barbecue moment. Mm. I'm pretending I'm having barbecue in Lockhart, Texas, and nobody else can pretend it. No, it's all mine. It's actually your loved ones in your time that they say you should value first. And it's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Application is simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision. And hey, uh, what better Father's Day gift if you're a dad than giving your family the gift of making sure that everybody's going to be okay if you can't bring home the bacon anymore. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life to see that their application is simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision, affordable prices, and lovely customer support. Hey, today, today we're taking a letter that we got from uh, stacker Adam. Adam asked if we can share our thoughts on the Atlantic article called 
Could index funds be worse than Marxism? Wow. By Annie Lowry uh, back uh, early April of this year. In fact, it's funny. I wrote to Adam and told him that uh, based on that title, OG, this might get a little further into political discussion than you and I are happy talking about. And definitely big picture economic discussions. Not in our wheelhouse, but I think we'll take a swing at this because it turns out that as I look at this, let me bring everybody up to speed on the premise. And by the way, if you have the show guide or the show notes, you might want to pause right here and and read some of this piece ahead of time. But for those of you out on the morning walk, let me just walk you through it. Annie writes here, OG, that the world of index funds is creating a bunch of investors who really aren't paying attention to the price of the stock they're buying. Instead, they're following the general philosophy that indexing beats active management. And if I just ride the economy, things are going to go better. The bad news is there are increasingly some pros including before he died, Jack Bogle, if you remember, we did a story about him saying before he died, yes, this can be a problem, but no, we're not there. We're a long way from that, but there could be problems on the horizon. Michael Burry, speaking of the housing crisis, 2007, 2008, has said that as more people index, it becomes more difficult to price out what a stock's really worth because so many people own the stock that really aren't buying it because they think it's a value. They're just along for the ride because it's part of the index. Some problems specifically that this piece points to is number one, any resources that are used in production to make the things that are in the index, because so many people are buying those things, uh, the price of the commodities have gone up on average by 6% if they're included in the index, making it more difficult for people to buy and making prices go up quicker on the end widget that we're all buying. Also, the fear, and nobody, by the way, is alleging that there's any malfeasance going on, but there are largely three companies that are the main players in indexing. And if more and more people do indexes, you are de facto giving a ton of power over the entire economy to State Street, BlackRock, and Vanguard. And while they right now control about 17% of the outstanding stock of the average S&P 500 company, because so few people vote, they actually control in practice about 25% of the voting block. That's a, that's a big, that's Mm -hmm. a big uh, sway on a lot of these companies. Yeah. And who's voting, right? Right. Right. It's just, and that's the other, another part in the article is, you know, just just a few people are in charge of those votes, right? That there's not some sort of committee. It's like 12 guys and gals. So while nobody is saying that that the world on purpose is headed toward anti-competition or Marxism, Annie makes the point, we may be headed that way anyway, if the world indexes. So I just think kicking this off, OG, maybe maybe kids playing around with individual stock ownership and getting involved in what the hell is going on really with GameStop or AMC or, or what are these companies about? Even if they start with the wrong reason, according to some people like Michael Burry, maybe that's, maybe that's good. Well, that was her point at the very end of the article was we need more of that, not less. There's a couple of things that she talks about in here that I think are just a little outdated. And, and one of them is 
using the comparison tool of active management costs, you know, a hundred X what passive does and offsite which, which you're saying is why so many people are indexing. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's one of the major theories, right? Is, right. is that it costs way more. So that's what why we not? hear all the time, but we're already seeing the impacts of that. And, and every fund company in the world has lowered their costs and I suspect will continue to do so. I don't think that the concept of active goes away. In fact, it probably will ebb and flow because because of the very nature of the fact that that a more actively traded portfolio is going to have some really good years and then some not so great years and there's more not so great years than really good years, that's the theory of passive. Like you can't you, you, you can't predict outperformance in advance, so I'll just take average. That's the nuts and bolts of it is that yeah, this this fund manager may have outperformed 15 years in a row, but that doesn't mean he'll do it the 16th year. There's no statistical evidence of the persistence of that performance, which is which is that. But I still think that there's enough of it and will be more of it because of the kind of just ebb and flow nature of investing that once the costs get in line or in the ballpark of passive funds it'll be rather indifferent. You'll be like, well, I can just make a swing at this because there's some chance this guy's going to do well or this gal's going to do well. But that leads me to the Michael Burry problem of, okay, more active investors enter the arena as costs come down. But if there's so many passive people that the true value of these companies are masked, it's going to make it harder for the average active investor to outperform. It'll become more random. Well, and that's that I think is what's going to, I don't know if you say fix it. I don't know that it's a problem, but that in fact would be the the solution to it because there'll be the random, the the random return that is successful for God knows what reasons, and then that will attract money. It's just like you know we use a lot of dimensional stuff, and dimensional is a passive company, but they add some active type things to it, and one of the the ways that I. I've had it explained and that I like to talk about is certainly we don't know which stocks are going to outperform, right? We don't have any idea. That's the whole point of, of indexing is that you just get one of everything. You don't have to worry about it, but you also have to recognize that there are some factors that will tend to lead you toward the path of outperformance. Like things like we know that companies that are profitable tend to do better than those are un- that are unprofitable, right? You go, well, yeah, no crap. Obviously, that makes sense. And yet, in your index fund, you have a whole crap load of unprofitable companies because indexing is we just own one of everything. We don't we we don't we don't care. It's like, well, this slice of them, these are the really unprofitable ones. Yes, there could be some great successes within there, but the the likelihood of that great success is pretty remote. So, why not just take that crap out of there? Why not take the one in a hundred chance out of there and just stick with the 90 out of a hundred chance type of thing? And, you know, that's one of the things that dimensional has been doing for years, but you know, now we hear the term smart beta, right? It's like being as intelligent as you can. Now there's different ways to do this, but you know, index funds that have an all market type of portfolio. The problem with that is you don't, you know, different asset classes produce different results over different periods of time and in different market cycles right? If you just have one fund, I'm looking at you, Vanguard Total Market Index Fund. How do you, how do you rebalance that? 
right? Like, how do you how do you say, well, my large company funds did well, so I'm going to sell some of that and buy some of my small company funds that didn't do as well? You you can't. You have one thing that owns one of everything. There's no way to to adjust for that. We um, did a headline last week about what matters in your portfolio and to younger people in 401k plans. Remember this headline? Yeah. Uh, I believe it was last it Wednesday. Was, it feels like it was yesterday. It does feel like yesterday. They, they all run together. But the uh, uh, if you're younger, uh, what matters is putting money into the fund. Yeah. As you're older and you've been around for a while and you've accumulated a nice sum of money, your asset allocation really matters more than you putting money in the fund. Both matter to both types of investors, but... I think VTSAX, that total market index fund, is a fine place for a brand new investor to start because your perfect asset allocation, okay, maybe you lose out on a couple bucks because you didn't get it perfect, which is why for somebody starting out, that's why I like this simple path to wealth, the JL Collins approach. But when I see sophisticated investors, sophisticated in every other way of the piece of their life, except asset allocation, tell me that owning one fund is the best way to go. Like you're, you're nuts. You're, you're crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, but it's worked, but to what end, you know what I mean? It's like, but I've gotten 8% a year. Yeah. Like the S&P does 10. <laughs> You've lost out on two, you know, the small caps do 12. You've lost out on four. And by the way, now, these, are the, your goals. <laughs> these are the same people that will about a 2% fee. And they charge themselves a 2% fee by refusing to do asset allocation. I, w- I would complain about a 2% fee too. I think you're talking about like, they would complain about like a 0.5 or something. A 0.075. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But still, you get my point. Yeah, absolutely. Which is they're charging themselves fees, in essence, uh, friction, right? They're worried about friction and their friction is their inability to embrace what we talked about with Julia last week, which is modern portfolio theory. Yeah. But getting back to this discussion about Marxism and this increasing effects possibly of passive investing that are are not great. I think I think you know when you're talking about active investing, I think the rise lately of more algorithmic active approaches like the buzz index coming back again, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> tracking the buzz has a pretty compelling track record. It's like the Reddit threads, you know, the most actively talked about Reddit stocks. Or yeah, whatever, yeah. You know? I mean, if you're tracking the buzz on the internet, I think that that's just one way, but that's not the only way. You're talking about the way Dimensional is doing this, the way that other uh, companies... Yeah, Wisdom um, Tree is another company that has like smart beta type. In fact, most companies do at this point. Yeah, creating but, these things that are low cost to them, right? The big cost is setting up the algorithm but you're not paying a bunch of managers to go out and visit a bunch of companies and ride first class in airplanes and 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 take uh, uh, CEOs out to dinner and chat with them. You're not doing any of that. You're just diving into the numbers. Yeah. I think ultimately I have such faith in capitalism and the, and the markets as a whole that this, if it were to become an issue, will just self-correct. And you're kind of seeing it when when money flows from active to passive and the primary uh, story being told is it costs too much to do this and you guys suck, you see the thinning of the herd at the active management, right? You see, you see the competition getting tighter. You see the smart ideas rising to the top and you see 
the cost structure addressing that fact. And so I just have so much faith in the, I'm, I'm not, I don't read this as like, Oh God, we're, we're, we're Oh, it's all over. <laughs> you know, like what do you do with this information? Like you just throw your hands up and go, well, yeah, that was my next thing. Like, is, oh, well, well, guess I can't invest. Yeah. What's the takeaway? Yeah. Right. Oh, well, put all my money in my suitcase. You know, you still have to invest. You still have to do it, you know? And, and I think as time goes on, we're going to see the market forces impact the other direction as much as we see it impact the passive side. So, and I think that's the key here is don't get attached forever to a singular way of investing. How many people told you 10 years ago or 15 years ago that GE would always be the company, right? In the great recession, I bought GE at like seven bucks a share. I was like, I'm such a genius. Such a genius. Amazon is not always going to be the top company. <gasps> what? Apple won't always be. Hey, what about AMC? The top company. AMC is no longer. Yes, until they merge with GameStop. Probably will. Would, would that blow your mind? <laughs> that would be, that'd be the epic, the epic mind meld. Yeah, <laughs> be so wild. It's a great article, though. I like it. Well thought out. Thanks for this, Adam, and uh, not something we usually get to do. So I'm glad that you wrote. If you've got a question for OG and I, maybe not one that's uh, so cerebral and maybe one that's a little closer to home about your personal finance, uh, OG's happy to answer those two for you. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash voicemail is the way to get on the Haven Lifeline. Or coming up Mondays at 5 p.m. if you track us on social media, that's 5 p.m. Eastern time. Sorry, need to clarify the time zone here, OG. We're going to begin recording our Friday shows live on a new platform called Fireside that we're super excited to be a part of. So come join us. You can ask questions live. You can participate in our trivia, our Friday trivia contest and more, or you can just listen live wherever you follow us on uh, social media because you, you, the cool thing about Fireside, you don't have to be in the auditorium. You have to be in the auditorium, the virtual auditorium to participate. But if you just want to listen, and stream it as we make it, you can do that too. Or obviously it'll be in the feed uh, later on, of course, in, in the week. Record on Monday, you hear it on Friday. All right, that's going to do it for today. Just a few cleanup things. You know, you can listen to us on smart speakers. Uh, just say the name of your speaker. Hey, blank, play the Stacky Benjamin Show. And wherever you are, you can take us along with you very easily. Thanks to everybody who has left us a review of this show. You know, reviews are the lifeblood of podcasting, just like uh, positive reviews for a restaurant on Yelp or TripAdvisor, positive reviews about the experience on a podcast. So huge thanks to everybody who's taken just a couple minutes out of their day to uh, leave us a review of the show. Mom has this review on the refrigerator right now from Brainwash01. Way better than certain podcast APOS. Uh, not sure what, that, what that's referring to, but five stars. If you're looking for a podcast to listen to, this is allegedly a podcast. Joe OG and Doug seem to do a good job of finding guests are worth listening to. Joe's mom does a masterful job of preparing dessert. Thank you, Brainwash, for that one. See how easy that is. And thank you so much for uh, sharing us with the world and with with your friends. And if, if anybody needs to know more about... Uh, the world of finance, of course, 
turn them on to this interview with, with Kevin Rose. And finally, if you're here because you're struggling with your money and you're looking for better financial decisions and you're looking at hiring a financial planning team, well, OG's team is taking clients. So head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash OG. And while you're doing your interviewing, that is the way to get on their calendar to talk about how they can interface with you to make better financial planning decisions. That's going to do it for today. Doug, I'm going to get out of the chair right now. Take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Sure thing, Joe. I'll help you out a little bit here. So everybody, what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headline. As your home equity grows with these crazy home price increases, accessing that equity through things like a HELOC aren't a bad idea, but make sure you're aware of the risks. Second, cryptocurrencies? Maybe not as hard to figure out as many people think, which leads me to our big lesson. Uh, that's the last time I come up with a list of questions for a guest again. Really, Joe, you couldn't ask one of my questions? Huh, uh, apparently nobody wants a new competitor on the market. I guess it's all up to me to get Doug Coin to the next level all by myself. Quartz hands all the way to the moon, stackers. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. To hear more from Kevin Rose, check out his new podcast, Modern Finance. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2021, and is created by Joe Saul Cihai. Our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by Taylor Stevens with help from Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen, check out our show notes page written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. Brooke and Joe also collaborate on a guide to the show and with lots of extras we couldn't include on today's podcast. Heck, they'll also throw in some life money lessons from Joe and it's all free. It's called The Stacker and you'll find it at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. She also is our social media coordinator, so say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. For a URL that'll take you right to our Facebook group, by the way, type stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, reminding you that if you think you're too small to make a difference, you've never been in bed with a mosquito.
summer is just so zipping by. Well, you and I were talking about this every year, every, we love recording the podcast, but every year, this is the only time of year. Well, the biggest time of year where we (laughs) change up the recording schedule a lot. Yeah. A lot. Like generally we have a pretty close to set recording schedule, but, Uh um, but not now, man. We're just like, okay, you got an hour. Let's do it. Texting back and forth. All right. Meet you in the basement. Okay. I'm, I'm going to be out of town on this and, and then I'm driving and then I'm home for 12 hours so we can knock out maybe, I don't know, two. Can we do two on a Sunday at three? And then uh, how about Wednesday? No, I'm traveling on Wednesday. Okay. How about Thursday? No, then you're traveling on Thursday. So to pull back the curtain just a little bit, part of the reason why sometimes we do, I get really excited about episodes like today's because of the fact that we get to cover some of the basics, but we're also covering the basics because we have no idea what the headline's going to be when this actually gets released, what the real headline is going to be. But also, I think a lot of people don't know about the basics when it comes to a home equity versus a HELOC. And we kind of store up these evergreen topics that we all need to know uh, for days like today. Which is good. Yeah, which is which is super good. So my sister, by the time people hear this, my sister has come through town and we went up to Devil's Den, which is a uh, Arkansas State Park in the Ozarks just south of uh, Fayetteville. And if you've never been to Northwest Arkansas, mm, what a beautiful, beautiful place, OG. And, but then the second that I get back, you're gone to uh, Florida, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we went to Florida for for a week, uh, hung out on the beach. A well-earned beach trip, I think, as we had parents and in-laws and cousins and whatever. We had we had somebody staying in our house from April 27th until June 1st. House guest all the time. The entire time. Yep, somebody was, somebody was here. Nick, our son, is hanging out with us the month of June here because Microsoft, where he works, opens up their campus again. Uh, mm-hmm. to everybody. So he's, he's headed back to Seattle uh, to go work on campus again with real life people for the first time in, I think, 17, 18 months. So uh, 15, but, but it's cool that, you know, my kid's going to be celebrating his 26th birthday and we, yeah. get to hang, we get to hang out with him for almost a month while he works from here. Like he's, he's working in one room. I'm working in another room. Cheryl's working at work and, uh, and then we just Get all those Benjamin stacking all and here I am sloughing off going on beach vacations and playing <laughs> golf. No, but then you get back and then you head for Michigan. Yep. We're going to Michigan yep, for a couple of weeks. And, uh, when you get back from Michigan, then I head for Nashville and podcast movement conference. I'll be on a panel with our friend Paula Pant and also with Gabby Dunn and a couple other people. John Wardock from Westwood one is going to lead the panel. And then, um, and then after and then that, you go I, to Michigan. I head for Michigan because we're trying to collect all the, all the national parks, and we are headed to Isle Royal. So my cousin Julie, who listens to the show from time to time, does not know this, but Julie, I will be uh, in your area. Get to see if we can go get a glass of wine together. Haven't seen my cousin in a long time. It'll be fun to catch up. Hopefully. All right. Speaking of, gotta go. I gotta get back to vacation, bro. Tut tut. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have 
served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.